on the program, I really want to talk to you about whose money is your superannuation really? Is it your money? That's what you've been told for decades and decades. Look after yourself because this is your retirement money. Is it the superannuation fund's money? Because some are right now saying you should not be allowed, allowed, mind you, to take your money out of superannuation as a result of the coronavirus crisis that's now being caused and seen. They're suggesting that people have got to be cautious about taking their money out. Many people who are taking their money out, I've got to tell you, they need the money. And it's their money. And remember, this superannuation money was put aside for the impending crisis of old age. Well, is unemployment today an inability to pay your bills today not as big a crisis as that might be faced in old age? Of course, this goes back to the old age problem of simply there not being enough money around to support everybody. And not everybody can be rich. That's the issue. Second part about this is a lot of controversy has been out there with headlines about a woman who decided to have breast augmentation with the $10,000 she got out of her superannuation fund. Now, I'm going to speak a little later on the program today with Michael Rice one of Australia's leading independent actuaries, recently got an order of Australia for that. He's one of the great people to talk to about the whole issue of superannuation. Now, the point is that woman who got the breast augmentation, in my opinion, it was her money. She could do what she liked with it. And as a result, who is anybody else to tell her that this was the wrong thing to do? Some say, well, she'll spend all her money today and she will rely on future taxpayers for an age pension when she gets old. Well, what's the difference is to whether she had breast augmentation today that might have helped her to earn a better income, feel better about herself, more self-confident, and therefore she has a better life as compared with, well, she turns 65 or 70 and gets the money out then. So, you know, I think we've all got to understand about the whole issue. As for superannuation funds bleating, bleating, about people who get their money out, I want you just to consider for a moment, even at the most significant withdrawals, they're suggesting some $35 billion, which is a big, big number, gobsmacking number for most of us. Do consider that this amounts to around 1% of the money in our superannuation funds. Now, do remember that our superannuation funds, the fund managers, the administrators, the lawyers, the others that feed off our superannuation industry, they pretty much easily take 1% of the superannuation pot every year, every single year. Do they have any compunction about that? About the fact that Australians pay some of the highest fees for pension management in the world? Is there really any qualms about that? No. The industry's got fat off the billions upon billions of dollars that you and I have been putting into that fund compulsorily for decades now. And so when people are now able to gain access to their own money, some 1%, we're hearing them crying, saying this is bad. This is not good for our long-term investment. Between you and me, I think prudent management managers should have really been able to invest the money. And also they've got money coming in every year. It's compulsory. So as I say... I think many of their problems are of their own doing. 
Now, I also have to apologise, and that is that I haven't been as regular a contributor as I would have liked. So I'm going to make it up for you today uh, with a longer um, The Money Minutes podcast. Anyway, it'll go for about half an hour, sit back. It's a long chat with Michael Rice. But before I get there, the reason why I haven't been as regular a correspondent, and I have to apologise, is I've gone into coronavirus lockdown myself. Isolation, 14 days uh, in Sydney as a result of having crossed over the border. Now, that came last Tuesday when the borders were closed or before the borders were closed. It was in the 24 hours before the borders were closed. To be honest, the policy in New South Wales is a bit of a mess because for the period of time leading up to that border closure, they had no idea how many people crossed the border, where they'd come from, where they were going to, who they were. Now, I'd come from the Mornington Peninsula, which at the time, my understanding was it was not a coronavirus hotspot, that I would not have to put myself into isolation. But subsequently, they changed it and said it was now the Greater Melbourne area. And so that being part of Greater Melbourne, even though it had no coronavirus cases at the time, I chose to put myself into isolation. I wonder how many other people would have done the same thing. Because I'd suggest to you a lot of people might be actually walking around the community now, maybe having come from hot spots or maybe not, but having no qualms. Second part about it, in my case, I was actually not that looking forward to the prospect of six months jail if caught out and about on the streets. Something to think about as well. But anyway, as I crossed the border, uh, the Hume Highway, uh, across from Victoria into New South Wales last week. And remember, this is before they closed the border, about uh, what would have been 12 hours before they closed the border. Uh, this is just a little bit of audio that I recorded. Let's pick it up here. So I've got now the, the old uh, bridge that's there, the old crossing, and I'm entering Oddies Creek across the border and into New South Wales I go. Uh, there is no... Uh, presence whatsoever. A sign here says do not enter New South Wales. COVID Victoria hotspots fines apply. Uh, well, I don't actually qualify for any of those. And so it seems at this stage at least that it is a very simple crossing. There was no stoppage. There was nobody checking me where I've come from, who I am. Uh, have I come from a hotspot? They didn't know any of those things. See? The experience was absolutely right. They had no idea who was crossing the border, when, where, or how. Anyway, leave that aside because clearly one of the biggest issues right now is our economy, the slowdown, and the fact that coronavirus, if there is a second wave in our most populated states, is going to really cause the government significant difficulties. Remember, it wants to start to ease off the amount of support for the economy from late September this year. Can I say they've got Buckley's hope? But in the meantime, let's go to that other issue about superannuation. I thought I'd bring into this conversation Michael Rice, one of Australia's leading independent actuaries and also the founder of Rice Warner. And Phil Rice Warner, even today, is instrumentally involved not only in the government policy that's created around superannuation, but even in the individual funds. Big mergers around the place right now. And Rice Warner is one of those giving some of that advice. Uh, Michael, as always, thank you so much for your time. I want to go through the whole state of superannuation. And part of the reason for that is, as I've discussed, the government allowing people last financial year to take $10,000 out of their super, this year allowing them to access another 
$10,000. And, and even the whole point about 60 minutes and what it's been raising is the issue of how people are spending this money. And the highlighted case is a woman who's gone and got uh, breast implants uh, with her money and whether that's a good use of her money. Now, you know, my view is in some ways, well, it's her money at the end of the day and the government's allowed her to have it. So she should be, you know, given every right to spend it in whichever way she wants. But, but there is a big issue here for the super funds, isn't that? And that is money coming out of the funds, from their point of view, is not as good as money coming into the funds, which they've had for the past three decades. Yes. Hi, Ross. Good to chat. And um, if you think about it, and this has been put out by people like Andrew Bragg in his recent book called Bad Egg, where he thinks that superannuation needs a lot of reform, there is no objective of superannuation. So... The financial system inquiry back in 2014 put out a um, proposed objective, and I think from memory that was to provide income in retirement to substitute or supplement the age pension. So effectively, they said, look, all, all you guys are doing is you're building up money for people and they'll use it in retirement to to spend on their lifestyle or whatever. Now, in reality, superannuation is a lot more than that. It's the biggest form of life insurance for many people. And as you say, with the early release scheme, and, and even before this scheme, there were people taking money out for things like um, hardship, it's called. And the definition of hardship was certainly expanded to include cosmetic surgery and other things. So this is a dilemma for the funds, though, because... If if that early release grows, then how do you invest long term when people can ask for their money earlier if they if if they're allowed to? And and let's face it, if people are young, uh, stressed financially, and they've had nearly ten percent of their wages put away, and they've got a nest egg sitting there, and they've got urgent needs, which could be paying off a credit card helping to pay the mortgage, you know, if they're in arrears because they've lost their job, or in other cases, simply saying, retirement's 40 years away, I can improve myself now if I spend the money on myself, um, even if we don't think it's going to help them in retirement, that might not be a priority. But isn't that not a bad thing for them to consume now, given the opportunity by the government? I mean, if, if they're in desperate strife now, and given the fact that superannuation was created to offset a crisis, a financial crisis a person would have when they're in retirement and also to offset a government crisis that they would have to fund these people during their retirement years. But if the crisis happens today because of coronavirus, isn't that a reasonable justification for a person to take that money and to fund their lifestyle? And let's take that extreme example of the woman who has bought the cosmetic surgery. Well, in her case... If she actually feels better, more confident, gets a better job, becomes a, a better income earner long term, all of these things. Now, you know, that might not happen, of course, but if that's what the, the anticipation of it is, who's to say that's a bad investment? And who's to say that really we should be dictated to as to how we should spend our nest egg? After all, if she'd done it when she was 65 and retired, nobody would have blinked an eye because it was her money. And I think this is the whole issue that comes to this point. As to whose money is this? Is it the government's? Is it the individual's? Or is it the super funds? Well, it's clearly the individual's. It's in their name. 
uh, no one else has any right to it. The real issue is what should the rules be for any sort of early release? Because if you make the rules too generous, a lot of people are going to get to 40, 45, and they will have spent the money. And then, you know, they'll lose that power of compound interest from being an early saver. Uh, and should it be everybody entitled to early release? I mean, should somebody who wants a fancy holiday because they've never been overseas, should they be allowed to take their super so that they can, they, you know, they can meet that dream, take the kids to Disneyland, for example? This, this not that they can do part. it right. Not that they can do it right now, of course, Marcus. So that's not <laughs> that's not, not really yeah. the point. So, but but I get your point, and that is, you know, because really, I think what you're trying to say also is, if they spend the money today and consume it today, then ultimately it is future taxpayers who are going to have to provide for them either through health or through you know sort of retirement incomes, that is pensions, when those people ultimately. Um, reach their retirement years. And those who have responsibly gone on and saved their money are ultimately going to have to spend their savings to help prop up somebody else who might have consumed during their working life. That's right. It's a balance. I mean, I think this early release scheme, which is probably going to be about $35 billion by the time it finishes at the end of September, was was quite a smart move because what the government was really saying was, you know, we need all sorts of levers to keep the economy going, to keep people from starving, moving into poverty, creating a, a recession, and superannuation money was freely available. You know, it was only 1% of all the money in the system. And there's a point. It was only 1% of all the money in the system. That's the key here, isn't it? Because considering that there is, you know, sort of mandated now 9.5% potentially rising to 12% of people's incomes going into superannuation, my point is that even as the superannuation funds give these grave warnings about the way in which they invest for the long term or short term, surely all of them could have managed 1% outflows as a result of the government's early release schemes as a result of the coronavirus. They could. Now, of course, it wasn't um, averaged evenly across all funds. Some funds have got high numbers of workers in hospitality, retail, you know, the industries that were, were smashed by by the lack of economic activity. So the funds that are going to be affected are going to be the, the host plus style funds. Maybe Australian super is going to be affected by that. So anything which is retail, risk would have been another one because it's retail yes. related. So, so anything that's super. Yes. So those types of funds are more potentially adversely affected and may have greater outflows as a result. But even so... A prudent manager surely is always managing for a worst-case scenario in the stock market, for example. And so surely there's enough cash reserves or cash flow coming through the door to basically make this a relatively um, you know, straightforward thing for the fund to be able to manage. Well, the, the, the SG, the mandatory employer contributions, are well over $100 billion a year. So, you know, put it in perspective, there's a lot of cash flow still in the system. Even with you know, 15% of people not working, but it still means 85% of people are paying superannuation contributions. So I think, I think going back to your original point, though, while this is a smart idea, the where do you draw the line? Does a government just before an election decide that it'll win favour by 
allowing everybody to take another 10 grand out. Um, so should we should we define the circumstances on early release to be um, prescriptive, or uh, because, because I could easily see a situation where people play with superannuation. Now, a lot of these people that have taken money out were young; they didn't have very much money. They might have taken all of their money out, either in the first ten grand or in the second. Now. They they will then be behind the eight ball in saving again. That doesn't matter if you know they're young and they've got plenty of time to make it up. But will they make it up? Um, will they get the right advice? You know, it, it's fair to say that the super funds communication with members is not the greatest. You know, they don't know a lot about their members, um, and I suspect that. Most of those young people will probably not put, you know, they won't they won't top the money back up later. There's so another that does mean they'll retire with less. Yes, so they retire with less. Ultimately, the money doesn't last as long. As a result, they end up earlier onto an age pension that other taxpayers, either in the future or current taxpayers who are younger, are going to have to help to support. Because this is also part of the issue that there are more and more Australians right now through JobKeeper, JobSeeker. Um, and also, you think about the public service. Um, you know, I read somewhere the other day that there was like 75% of people right now are dependent on the government for some form of support, either direct through the wages or through the JobKeeper or JobSeeker program. And of course, then you add pensioners and others into the, in, into the system, and you realise that the vast majority of Australians already are, are, are either wholly or partly dependent on the federal government. And to me, at least anyway, that is not a healthy way to run an economy. You'd prefer to have more taxpayers putting money in than people largely taking money out because either they don't have a job or they're pensioners or indeed because they need government assistance. And I guess this is what the government is right now trying to overcome as they try and get more people into work. Yes, and we've built a system of middle class welfare, haven't we, where people get family tax benefits when they're not particularly badly off. So the welfare system is not badly targeted, but it's expensive. And then when we have a, you know, a downturn like this, it can become very expensive to get out of it. The, the other thing is, are we creating an environment where people are self-sufficient and want to be independent, or, or do they actually see the government support as a, as a right and an entitlement? And that comes back to having access to super. If people simplistically say, it's my money, if I want to spend it any way I like, I should have access to it, then, uh, and, and if enough people think that, then governments will, will bow to that judgment, but it'll bite back in 40 years' time when the age pension costs will start rising again. Okay, while I just have you, one other issue that I think is important to talk about with super funds right now is the fact that the stock market has continued to rise after it really you know, hit the floor after coronavirus outbreaks. But then since then, it's had a spectacular rally, which has largely been off the back of technology-based stocks. And the one um, in Australia right now is Afterpay, which is the, the star of all of those. One thing that really worries me, I noticed today that there's a story about that most professional uh, investment managers 
um, are keeping their money out of the stock market, that they're wary of the stock market right now, which is leading to underperformance in their funds. But of course, many, many uh, exchange-traded funds that follow the index or index fund managers, and indeed even superannuation fund managers, don't like to be caught short, as it were, with underperformance compared with their peers. So they continue to keep money invested in the stock market regardless of where it's uh, common sense might be at the time. Now, many are suggesting that you know there is more pain to be had down the track, but the super funds have much option when it comes to making decisions as to whether they should be in or out of the stock market at potentially dangerous times. Yes, well, one of the dilemmas is that while they're investing for the long term, all the media commentary is on very short-term performance. So if you if you end up at the 30th of June with someone saying, well, uh, the last three months you were two percent and your peers are at five, you'll you'll be bottom of the league table, even though that's a very short period and quite you know inconsequential in in terms of a member's long-term out, outlook. So I, th- I think I think there are people who look at peer relativity too much. Um, I suspect a lot of the super funds are out of the market at the moment with cash waiting to go back in because things still look pretty poor, you know, economically. Perhaps the buyers are the SMSFs, who are people who take a long-term view and will buy when something uh, stable is at a lower price than it was a while back. Or is it all these so-called Robin Hood investors, you know, all the young millennials who are stuck in their unit, unable to go out and are day trading? Perhaps that's what's causing the activity. It's interesting, as I've been stuck in the unit myself for some period of time, being in an enforced isolation for 14 days, (laughs) I kind of feel that, I I feel the pressure, but I'm trying to resist, I've got to tell you, I'm trying to stay in as much cash as I possibly can. Tell you what, it's always great to have a chat to you, Michael. Michael Rice, I say, one of Australia's leading independent actuaries and the founder of Rice Warner. And that is such an important issue. Whose money is it? What happens for the future? And should you be dictated to as to how you spend that money? Michael, as always, great to have a chat. Thank you, Ross. That's good. So that's it for this episode of The Money Minutes. Thanks for your company. Thanks for your time. We'll do it again real soon. Of course, you can get in contact with me via either Twitter or Facebook and uh, leave your comments about in particular where you think the state of the markets are and indeed that whole issue of whose money is it really? I'm Ross Greenwood. We'll see you next time.